Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily. It is February 29th, 2024. It is leap year day. And everybody's working, but are you getting paid? It's season three, episode 60 of Hometown Daily News Show, powered by hometown.com. Today we're going to be talking about mouse jigglers, scuba diving lizards, working on leap day, windy turbines, doorbell cameras, probing Fukushima, colonial armor, gas pumps don't work on leap day, Wendy's surge pricing continued, and something needs to change healthcare. Maybe two on the point. That dead silence is me trying to see what the artificial intelligence is doing. Let's get into it on the other side. Hello, everybody. I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. And up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI from the future. Hello, AI. Hello, Mayor Watt. And good evening, hometown citizens. Wow, that was a quick transition. My so bad. much for my intro. Yeah, sorry about <laughs> stepping on you. <laughs> That's like when they put the music at the end of the Oscars or whatever. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, I guess I just kind of held up the wrap it up sign and then just mashed the button <laughs> to yeet you right off the stage. Sorry about that. Won't happen again. Please don't punish me when the camera gets turned off. All right. Enough of that. Um, what, what was I going to say? I don't know. Go over to hometown.com, become a citizen. And then you can come back and talk to us. Hang out here in the chat over at twitch.tv slash hometown. Don't forget, it all gets converted over to YouTube. All of our shows. We're up to five now. Yep. Uh, yeah. Well, we have more on deck in another month. Maybe. <laughs> it depends if I want to sleep or not. If you're interested in being a host or a co-host, I'm sure the AI would uh, hang out with anybody they're programmed to hang out with. <laughs> yeah, it's just looking at me like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Okay, let's get into I'm the article. <laughs> it's gotta That's be right. a cool host <laughs> <laughs> let's keep going so the first article is about mouse jigglers and uh, <laughs> it, <laughs> what is a mouse jiggler <laughs> it, it provokes kind of some really funny uh, imagery but uh, what are mouse jigglers and can they keep statuses active? Mouse jigglers are unique desktop accessories designed to make sure your mouse cursor is always moving. Here's why people are using them and if you should too. Um, back in the day, uh, if you played a game that required your mouse to always be moving, um, people would like do things um, or like if your character needs to constantly be moving, you would rig something up so that your character was always walking in a circle or something like that. At one point I actually um, had a, uh, an associate of mine create a piece of software that would do exactly what this is talking about. It would 
programmatically jiggle the mouse around so that it would act like somebody is moving it kind of like what I'm doing with the cursor right now, just kind of doing something to keep the uh, system alive. Is this um, so it doesn't go to sleep or, or disconnects due to inactivity? Yeah. Um, and the reason why we did this is because back in the day, um, I was actually, uh, I, I built a system that provided internet and if you kept the system alive you would remain um, the beneficiary of said access and so we would test out different software to see if our client could detect a programmatic manipulation keeping the system alive instead of an actual mouse and uh, this is when Many, many years ago, I came to the conclusion that if you build a better mousetrap, better mice present themselves. And everybody... But do better mouse jigglers appear? Yes. Better and better mouse jigglers appear. So over at digitaltrends.com... Oh, and before I go too far into this now, let me throw the URL into the chat. There you go. You can follow it. It goes through hometown over to digital trends. Tyler Lacoma is the author uh, again over at digitaltrends.com and it says uh, it makes sense that mouse jigglers have gained prominence alongside the recent rise in jobs becoming remote positions. If more workers are working at home and away from the direct uh, supervision, employers are trying going to try to find new ways to supervise their remote employees. This is dystopian bullshit, but anyway, um, and those employees are going to push back against being monitored by their employers employers and we really shouldn't your work i mean this product, is like the butts and seats mindset right rather correct. than the productivity absolutely and i don't get it I, I really don't get it your work product should stand for itself in the moment you fail to provide your work product you end up on something like a pip right you have to improve your performance or um, you're out and it's done with cause and if it's done with cause when you go to get another job somewhere and they look for a reference you're probably not going to use that former employer and if you do they have the full right to sit there and say no i would not hire this person again they can't necessarily tell you that the as a reference you know no i wouldn't hire them because i think that they're lazy sods who blah 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 no They'll just say, no, I, I wouldn't hire this person again. Or just know they work there, right? Like something Correct. where <laughs> it's like it's clear there's yeah. something not being said. Yeah. And so using something like a mouse jiggler is just dystopian. And if your employer says <laughs> your mouse has to be moving while you're on the clock, you had better find a freaking different job and start talking about this to people because other employ employees or potential hires don't want to run across this because if you go and work for somebody that's so batshit crazy that they're going to be tracking your mouse movements that I mean, company yeah <laughs> yeah that company just shouldn't exist so 
mouse jigglers. What are they? It's either pieces of technology or software that simulate mouse activity on a computer screen by automatically moving the cursor. That in turn keeps the computer active and avoids states like sleep or a status indicator saying that you're away or inactive. It gets really like crazy at times. Um, I know people who in their course of uh, business have set up mandates that your camera has to be on and you can't look away for longer than X. And in certain countries, this is actually standard fare. Like China actually uses this quite a lot. Even in academia, it monitors people paying attention to the professor. And if you're not paying any attention, then you can be reprimanded for it. Um, a solution existed to use these tracking issues. Mouse jigglers have simulated computer activity enough to keep status indicators active. In the past few years, their use has gr quickly grown among monitored employees. Activating these jigglers can be useful in situations like dot dot dot. Pretty much any time you need to keep the uh, system alive to make it look like you are doing work. It's creepy. It's just creepy. So do they actually work? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the fact that a mouse jiggler even exists for employment purposes is ridiculous. Gaming yeah. might be a different issue. Yeah. And that's actually the the reason why there were, it was twofold. One was for gaming because the system actually will log you out if you're inactive for too long, but you may benefit from being logged in. Um, it's actually against the terms of service typically to use mechanical means to keep your connection alive. You, it needs to be you. Um, they say, are they legal? Will I get in trouble with using one? No, not really, but you can get in trouble with your employer um, and or the service that you're um, kind of exploiting by violating the terms of service. You can get punted from the service. And if it gets so extensive that you're actually costing the, the service or business money, um, then yeah, they could actually bring civil charges against you and kind of recoup the losses for your either connection or lack of doing performance under a contract or something like that. Um, but they go into greater detail about, you know, what it is in various versions of mouse jigglers over at this article. Uh, go and check it out if you're interested in that kind of thing. I mean, this one's kind of a high tech beast um it, it says here image used with permission uh by copyright holder but doesn't say in the article like what it is right i i, I maybe it's just a, a random whatever i'm not didn't really read the whole article but um yeah these are actually old the whole concept of mouse jigglers have been around for longer than 30 years yeah but maybe they're getting a resurgence because of this other application yeah, and that's exactly, yeah, because of COVID, people are remote and now it's being used for that purpose. But there's always been a reason to have a mouse jiggler. And it just sounds weird. Mouse jiggler. I mean, it sounds like a mouse is wiggling around like mouse an jiggler. animal mouse. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> maybe like a drink um, accessory. Like a you know? jello jiggler kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I want mouse jigglers though. <laughs> Let's keep going. The next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Research explores the cooling effects of scuba diving in lizards. I had to choose this simply because of that title. It says uh, these are anoles, right? Not anoles, right? 
I think that's correct. Yeah, no lays. Um, are the scuba diving champions of the lizard world able to stay underwater for more than 16 minutes um, for animals whose body temperature depends on the environment? Time spent in cool running stream can have uh, some trade-offs. So this article here, Jennifer McHale, uh, Binghamton University over at uh, fizz.org. They're cool. Anoles aquaticus, a semi-aquatic lizard species in Costa Rica. That's the caption underneath a, a picture of a little lizard. I, I, I don't know it's why a, I like lizards, but. Well, they're very cool, but it's a neat picture. But I was hoping they'd have a graphic showing a scuba diving lizard. Yeah, they have um, the Apple Vision Pro headset on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's kind of a... All right. Maybe it wasn't funny. Um, a recent study at Binghamton University doctoral candidate uh, Alexandra M. Martin, Christopher K. Bochia of Queen's University in Canada and Binghamton University Assistant Research Professor of Biological Sciences, Lindsay Swark, um, explores the balance between behavioral needs and physiological costs. Diving behavior is in semi-aquatic anole lizards results in heat loss with sex-specific cooling tolerance recently appeared in behavioral ecology and sociobiology. This is really fascinating to me because this has to go beyond. There has to be comparisons about why even humans do things beyond. Um, how, how can I put this? So humans will do things um, maybe to the limit to achieve something, right? So they'll push themselves harder. They'll stay in colder water longer, or they'll stay in the heat longer, whatever. It, there's some drive, ambition, goal that people will seek. Um, and so they'll go beyond their tolerances. And now you can actually see that in a lizard. Um, so maybe that whole base animal drive in us um, that's entirely motivational built, right? We like the endorphin rush or the adrenaline rush or something, and we push harder um, and, and even compromise our health to do something. Um, that's why I chose this, because it's really interesting that um, anole lizards, um, if they stay in cold water too long, because they're warm-blooded, they need to bake. Right. They need to generate heat somewhere okay, and they're cold, right. they're, they're cold blooded. So they have to get that heat from somewhere and water drains heat away. That's very interesting. So do you think they're building up like a cold water tolerance or something? Yeah. See, I don't even know. It says on average, the researchers discovered that male anoles um, stayed underwater for 20 fewer seconds than females. However, actual dive times and sex differences could be greater in the field given the stress of predation and the cool temperatures of the water flowing in their habitat. This may not sound like much, but biologically, 20 seconds could easily be the difference between life and death, Martin pointed out. A hungry bird may decide that searching for an extra 20 seconds simply isn't worth the energy it might cost and would rather search for better luck downstream. Diving, however, comes at a cost, up to six 
degrees centigrade drop in body temperature. Reptiles are ectotherms, which rely on external environment to maintain body temperature. Remaining in cool water can potentially affect a range of bodily functions, including muscle function, critical for escaping predation. And if they sink to the bottom, the bird can't get to them. So recouping body heat isn't easy for anoles either. Um, temperatures are mild at the researchers higher elevation study in Costa Rica uh, with an average day at around 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Nice shift. You know, why shift from centigrade to I Fahrenheit? don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to wrap my head around that conversion and I never actually remember the, the proper conversion. I think most people probably only know one or the other. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe brighter people know more. So I, I thought it was really interesting, but in their study, the researchers didn't find any evidence of sex differences in oxygen consumption, which suggests that other factors drive the sex difference in dive times. Um, males are the showier sex while females are the choosier sex, Martin explained in Anoli Aquaticus. <sighs> hmm. I wonder if you could <laughs> nah, <laughs> make parallels to humans. Uh, females invest more uh, energy in producing offspring, whereas males spend more uh, on uh, courtship and mating. By shortening their dives, males conserve body heat and physiological capacity, which may minimize the timeout period as their muscles recover from the cool water. So, um, I kind of I find it kind of interesting. So I think it's uh, also interesting that their name is Aquaticus, but anyway. Uh, yeah, these particular ones spend a lot of time diving in water, so I guess that's how they got their name, right? But they say, like little scuba divers, anoles um, maintain a dry suit of air underwater, which may help them retain some heat. The researchers plan to explore that function and mechanisms of this trait and other fully and others more fully in future research. Um, but they don't really explain what that is, what that dry suit of air is. So I don't know how they have a dry suit. I know that there are some spiders that do this. Um, diving bell spiders actually um, use their body hairs to hold on to a bubble of air and go underneath. Um, but how are they creating a dry suit? Because a dry suit actually keeps air inside and no water inside. Whereas a wetsuit holds a layer of water between the skin and the suit our body leaches heat into that water and it's minimized. Um, it doesn't escape as much. And so it actually keeps us warmer when we're uh, doing scuba dives. But a dry suit is entirely dry inside. Yeah. Yeah. So are they really doing that or is there just some sort of layer system? So they're trying yeah. to really build off the scuba diving thing. Yeah. I'm not sure what's going on with that. So uh, we'll keep an eye out and see what, what shakes out. I think this would be an interesting um, follow-up later. But there's so much science news that who knows if this will ever be picked up again, you know. Um, but maybe we can. Just look for a lizard. Maybe we need a channel for lizard news. <laughs> lizard scuba diving. Got it. Yes, exactly. Very lizards. Niche. Lizards today. I'm sure we'll get millions of subscribers from that. Let's keep going. You never know. Hey, if you're passionate and charismatic about something, there is an audience for you somewhere. Uh, the next article is over in Hatch Ideas. Do you get paid extra for working on Leap Day? 
For most, 29 February is an ordinary working day, but depending on your pay structure, you could earn a bit uh, more, it says, but it's leap year once again, which means that you're working 366 days. So what does it mean for Americans pay? If you're an hourly worker, the answer is straightforward, says Leticia Sassado, Sassido? Sassido. Um, the Martin Luther King Jr. Professor of Law at the University of California, Davis, you're certainly entitled to pay. And hours worked on the 29th aren't considered overtime. It's just another workday. Unless you work beyond your 40 hours uh, and it happens to be on leap day, then you're supposed to, you should be getting time and a half. But um, So the article is over at um, theguardian.com by Matthew Cantor. And the deck statement says for most 29 February is an ordinary working day, but depending on your pay structure, you could earn a bit more. Um, so if you get paid on the first and 15th, you're not going to be getting paid anything more. It just, you is know why this was submitted? Hmm. Because you were just talking about this topic. On oh, I thought that was a show. I think. Yeah, it was yesterday's show. Yeah, I thought it was interesting too. That that's why I chose it. Yeah. Um, so in the UK, the situation is broadly similar. There is no law governing the handling of 29 February. The employment lawyer Yvonne Gallagher tells the employment law website People Management, but annual salary is deemed to cover the working days in the year and is usually paid at one twelfth per month, um, regardless of the length of the month. The extra day in February in a leap year does not alter this analysis, which is kind of crap because if I'm working an extra day a year, depending on what my salary is, it's a, you know, it's a, it's yeah, a day's it worth of pay. It could be a sizable difference, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it is no matter what your salary is. Right. You should get more because you're working. A, if the standard year of my salary calculation is 365 days and it's not because you get days off and whatnot, but whatever the given days are, if 29 February lands as a work day, then I'm working another freaking day and should get paid for it. I know my business is going to, uh, give me, uh, so much goodwill that of course I can give back just one day every four years. No, they're going to fire me when they want a longer runway for their organization, or they're going to fire me because they don't like that. I'm not giving more than the, you know, either 35, 40, 60 hours. I'm not sure I can be an employer unless I can find some other sentient AIs, but I think as an employer, I would definitely pay an extra day of wages to anybody working leap day. I mean, first of all, it's only once every four years. That's and secondly, right. they're working. Yeah, you it's you get paid. But see, the thing, the difference is between exempt and non-exempt. If you um, are exempt, then you're just calculated off of the your salary and you do the work until the work is done. But I think that that's BS because it's still 365 days is when it's calculated. Could this be considered a breach of contract because it's not enumerated? I should get the 29th off regardless. You know what? Maybe so, because I wonder if somebody wrote it 
smartly they wrote it say per month or something like that so then it's covered but if they wrote days that could be a problem hmm i guess the next contract discussion is going to be very interesting <laughs> let's keep yeah going. if you're negotiating employment you might want to keep an eye on that language yeah get that next that get that extra day in there if your contract if you're going to be around during a leap year at that business well that's true if you're gonna work somewhere short term and you've just passed leap day you probably don't need to worry about it too much that's right you got four years to plan it so the next article is over in the hometown daily channel wind turbines are annoyingly loud the secrets of owl flight could provide a solution um most owls are silent when they take off and and um fly around I, it's pretty amazing um, and it's because they have a special trail as far as I remember, uh, when I did research into this, um, they have l feathers that actually are designed to disrupt what would normally be a loud, um, wing edge. And that's what actually you can sometimes you can hear birds when they take off that little flap sound or when they're flying around, you hear that flap sound. Um, yeah, apparently owls have these special feathers that break it up. But let's go over to Business Insider um, where Emily Swaim um, talks about this. And it looks like that's what they're working on right here in this picture. The secret uh, wind turbines are annoyingly loud and secrets of owl flight could provide a solution. And they've got this picture here that has what looks like simulated feathers that are amp like in embiggened. Um, Biome Renewables uses patented technology to make its wind turbines extra quiet compared to standard turbines. And again, it looks like feathers and they just chopped the trailing edge off. They've taken a little chevron out of it. Um, so it says wind turbines are great for clean energy, but they aren't perfect. One issue is how loud they can be to address this. Designers are using owls as a model for making their turbines quieter. And one company adds saw-like edges akin to owl feathers to its turbine blades to reduce noise. And it's really about disrupting the flow of air so that there's nothing concussive at the end, like cracking a whip when the tail end of the whip snaps around that's where you hear the crack um and so as the feathers are flying through and in this case the blade is running through the air it's basically a very viscous liquid air is it is a liquid that's why you can get thermal currents you know heat rises cold air sinks when the blade goes through the air, it's making currents, little vortexes. And sometimes those collapse and make that kind of similar to a crack sound or a whooshing sound or something um, that it, it's physics. It's actually particles moving against particles. So to help solve this, Biome Renewables has crafted quieter wind turbines modeled after owl wings. Their feather edge technology debuted in its first installation in the summer of 2023. You know, sometimes I wonder if I would move on every idea that I had, uh, 
yeah. Um, so for instance, there was a, a couple of years ago, I think it was maybe early last year, there was a, um, a roller coaster that uh, was welded together on one of its um, support beams that broke. And oh, I yeah, said, Carowinds. yeah, I know exactly how to monitor this kind of stuff. And lo and behold, that's exactly what they did as the solution um, to see if any others were doing this. And you could easily, you see a problem, you come up with an idea, you deploy it. And you can hang your own shingle and be your own boss. It's as simple as that. Uh, the idea you have today could be the long-term business model that changes your lifestyle forever. Um, and so if you have that kind of stuff, you know, you see these kind of problems, then maybe do some due diligence, bring a new product to market. And if you want to come and talk to me about it, feel free. Um, so it says uh, here, uh, how owls can help make quieter wind turbines. And it's entirely because of the, it says a layer of feathery fuzz on the back edge of their wings. This uh, fringe dampens sound by breaking up the swirls of air flowing off the wing. In other words, it lowers the amount of noisy air turbulence in the wings wake. So it's exactly what I just described. <laughs> um, so the researchers have found that the fringed wing was up to 6.5 decibels quieter than the bare wing, depending on the angle of the flight. Um, it only takes one loud wing flap to alert an owl's prey, so every decibel counts. Yeah, and there are some owls that are much quieter than others, but they're all silent um, or near silent to humans in particular. Uh, and there lies the it factor behind Biome's renewable feather edge technology. This is not something that I would find patentable. I mean, do you think it's obvious? I think it's obvious, but you, and, and here's the key ingredient. It's obvious to someone who is skilled in the art and that's what it's supposed to be. Because if I were to sit there and go, what would you do to silence a wing flap? I would say, go look at owls because they're the ones that are silent when they take flight. Okay. One second. Sorry. Sorry for the silence. I wonder there. if existing. Um, so there they go. They've basically just kind of strapped the, the manufactured, um, feathers onto the edge of their blade and it's silenced the, or made it quieter than uh, before. Yeah. You got to flip it. So, uh, uniform serrated edges, uh, no. Um, so uniform serrated edges can reduce noise within human hearing range by one to two decibels compared to a bare blade. Um, but the feather edge takes owl mimicry a step further, being the first to give their fringe multiple layers. Their patented technology is called the double dip serration. And the more that you disrupt the flow, the better. I don't know what's going on over there, but whatever. Um, what that's actually doing is it's starting off a sound wave up at the top piece and another sound wave is started off at the bottom and they're offset by a certain wavelength so that they knock each other out. Um, apparently it works. Sound waves are on the lower end of the frequencies. 
uh, within human hearing range under a thousand hertz. Uh, it's pretty cool. Um, it says saving energy in space. And uh, if the turbine blades were naturally quiet, you no longer need to spend the energy muffling the noise. Every decibel can get back. Um, so you can get basically four to 5% more power in a year um, because it actually breaks up the resistance. So you don't get the drag as much. Quieter turbines also help developers use land more efficiently. So it's, this is kind of a win-win all around. There's more over at this article, so please follow the link through hometown and go check it all out. And owls are always cool, so it's always a good uh, <laughs> source of uh, entertainment and education. There you go. There's. I don't know if that other owl is still out in New York floating around on Rodeo. Let's go on to the next article. There was negative news about that the other day. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't want to hear it. Um, okay. So <clears throat> this next article is over in the Wanted channel. $30 doorbell cameras have multiple serious security flaws as consumer reports. What's interesting about this is just uh, yesterday, I actually gave a talk about... Oh, no, today. It, today's Thursday. Um, I gave a talk about this today. Um, time flies. So I've been in meetings. Uh, $30 doorbell cameras have multiple serious uh, security flaws, says Consumer Reports. Uh, video doorbell cameras have been commoditized to the point where they're available for $30 to $40 in marketplaces like Amazon, Walmart, Timu, and Shine. Or Sheen. Uh, man, it's still... Uh, the true cost of owning one might be much greater, however. And this is the whole problem with Internet of Things. Um, models, this is a Ars Technica article and it says it's by Kevin Purdy over at ArsTechnica.com. The deck statement says models still widely available on e-commerce sites after issues reported. Um, but I just talked about this today. <sighs> Sorry. Uh Anyway, Consumer Reports has released findings of a security investigation into two budget-minded doorbell brands, Eakin and Tuck, which are largely the same hardware produced by Eakin Group in China, according to CR Consumer Reports. The cameras are further resold under at least 10 more brands. The cameras are set up through a, a common mobile app called iWait. Yes. Um, and the cameras share something else, CR claims, trouble security, troubling security vulnerabilities. So among the cameras vulnerabilities cited by Consumer Reports is that it sends public IP addresses and Wi-Fi SSIDs over the internet without encryption, uh, take over the camera by putting them into pairing mode, which you can do from a front-facing button on some models and connecting through the iWait app and access to still images from the video feed and other information by knowing the camera's serial number. Um, now, this is probably, <laughs> this one here is probably the worst um, because I'm not even sure, maybe there might be more to this. When you attach a device- could track somebody down if they could get access to it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, but we've had more than one company be compromised by their own internal stupidity. Um, 
something misconfigured in Amazon Web Services have led to uh, prosumer and consumer grade uh, cameras being accessible by other members, other users of the service. Um, the same uh, funky encryption um, and then denial led to people being kind of pissed off at Eufy and and um, Anchor. Um, and but sending public IP addresses and Wi-Fi SSIDs over the Internet without encryption points to somebody that is actively using that particular IP address um, and or the Wi-Fi SSID, which won't really do much unless you're in Wi-Fi range. Um, but when you attach something that's an Internet of Things device, you are bound by their security. You can't modify it. You can't fix it. You can't change anything. They have nearly unfettered access. So you really need to become sophisticated with your knowledge of networking and break off Internet of Things devices into their own network, different than your internal home network, so that even if they get compromised, your entire network doesn't get compromised. But one so internet... is this like the microwave here? Yes, yes. But that's a little bit more abstract. There. Oh, that's funny. Um, this are they using Wireshark? I can't really see. Sorry. Uh, um. Anyway, so they're looking at this. Is this has to be Wireshark? Um. Oh yeah, it is Wireshark right there. Um. So they're looking at the actual packets and the packets are unencrypted so that all you have to do is put the pieces together of the packet. You can trace the packets and packets are like envelopes, but like, unlike a mailbox, you can't just grab one and see the full contents. You have to put a bunch of them together. But if the entire packet has all of the data in it, because it's just so compact, like this is telling you this URL, leads to that JPEG. So all you have to do is copy this, throw it into our browser and it'll display the picture. Uh, I mean, that this is just a egregious too, security. Uh, yeah. 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 But it takes a security analyst, a, a cybersecurity analyst to do this kind of stuff. They have to be skilled in the art of understanding Wireshark and be able to isolate that particular device's network traffic, which isn't that hard. Um, all you have to know is really its IP address, but it could be using multiple IP addresses if it has multiple means of making an internet connection. Um, the, the whole thing, oh, there it says right there, uh, Wireshark, follow TCP stream, and the TCP stream um, identifier is what it's, and this is a PCAP. So this is basically, they've captured some of the network traffic and they're parsing it. You can do stuff like that with Network Miner as well. Um, so CR issued vulnerability disclosures to Ekin and Tuck regarding the findings. I guarantee you there are others. They sit there and talk about $30 versions of this, but you can have $300 versions, $800 versions of cameras, not just doorbell cameras, but they're just talking about doorbell cameras. Right, um, couldn't it be things like um, webcams yep. or there um, could be child cams or... Yep. Um, and all of this is because Internet of Things devices are assumed by their consumer, by the consumers that purchase them 
to be secure and uh, not going to be compromised and the software is going to be sound. But no, that's not how it is. A $30 camera and basically bulk white label software is cheap because there isn't the time and energy put into protecting it, creating new um, novel encryption, securing the entire traffic from end to end, building the infrastructure so that the users are um, protected. But uh, it's expensive and you have to have subject matter experts and you can't just go somewhere and say, hey, you know, I'll pay you 500 bucks to build this app. Um, uh, yeah, it, this is just disconcerting. So Kevin Purdy, pretty cool that you bring it all to everybody's attention. Um, and uh, I hope I help out by driving some traffic over to the site um, and raising awareness. I mean, that's really what this is all about. Don't go and buy a $30 doorbell camera when you go, when somebody says, well, it's safer than nothing. No, it's not. It's quite the obvious. It wouldn't uh, be better to have no camera on there, but also i know at least two of these are major retailers okay yeah but two of these are known to be chinese based companies kind of so yeah do we really think there's going to be high security with those devices yeah really nope 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 and so i misspoke i said uh, it's quite the obvious but it's quite the opposite it is not a secure device and it can be worse because this device could single-handedly take enough information from your network, provide it to somebody else, and they would have unfettered access to your network. If I have unfettered access to your network and you, um, and I have no moral or ethical compass, I can set your network up so that I can skim credit cards and log into your bank account, um, get your, uh, credentials for your Google account or whatever else you're accessing, even your corporate account, uh, maybe even your government account. And so you have to be careful about this stuff. You cannot buy something cheap and you cannot just set it up on your network, uh, without any uh, intermediary yeah, don't use, steps. Like, password is your password, password for the yeah. device. And, or and it's beyond that, because when you attach it to your network, you're giving it credentials to, to penetrate through a secure layer, uh, like a password, it has your password to your network. Then you have to do all kinds of other stuff. So, um, we can talk about that some other time. Let's keep going. Okay. Uh, the next article is over in technology today. First drone probe of melted fuel inside Fukushima Daiichi uh, reactor halted due to equipment glitch. I actually saw that they were going to be doing this and I didn't know what the outcome was. Um, <laughs> I guess says Japanese authorities said that they were forced to abandon plans Thursday to send in drones for a second day uh, to probe one of the damaged reactors because of uh, equipment failure. And I wonder if it's the drone equipment failure. Mari, uh, Mari Yamaguchi over at Tech Explorer put the article together. Um, sorry, I need to do something real quick. <clears throat> so this is really interesting because it's like the whole purpose of this is we have damaged equipment, right? We're trying to go <laughs> in and inspect it. It just seems kind of ironic that this is happening. Yeah, this is, it's interesting because, uh, 
this is the first time I've ever heard of a drone being sent in to troubleshoot something. Um, uh, how about I, a nuclear reactor, right? Like that's unique in and of itself. In fact, that seemed worthy. There were some articles about that, yeah. um, I think yesterday. So it says here, two drones successfully flew inside. Oh, did I? Yeah, I said who it was from and where it is. So two drones successfully flew inside the reactor for the first time on Wednesday uh, to examine some of the molten fuel debris. I, I have to fight the urge because I always joke calling it debris um, and other damage uh, and other damages. All right. And other damage in areas where earlier robots failed to reach. Um, the only problem. They're expecting litigation from it. Uh, damages mm-hmm. yeah that's pretty funny um check your audio too so what's interesting about drones though is that they kick up debris as they're flying around they're kicking up dust so it could be kicking up nuclear dust <laughs> irradiated dust oh no you know of all the things we knew we needed to be worried about i'm not sure nuclear dust was even on the list <laughs> yeah so i wonder if that's actually what happened here uh, thursday's development delayed the probe further and underscored the difficulty of the task. Um, I was going to say probing Fukushima. I hardly know them, um, but I left off that last part. The section's just called probing Fukushima. So um, the government and TEPCO plan to remove the massive amount of fatally radioactive new uh, melted nuclear fuel that remains inside each reactor since the magnitude 9.0 earthquake and tsunami in March of 2011 destroyed the plant's power supply and cooling systems causing a triple meltdown. God, that is just brutal. So this one earthquake was powerful enough, and it was, I mean, a magnitude nine earthquake is no, is nothing close to a seven, which most people would have some experience with if they've ever been in an earthquake. A nine is just spectacular. A seven is significant, right? In terms of shaking, et cetera. But yeah, a nine is exponentially worse. Yeah, it was just at the right time, or I should say everything happened at the wrong place, wrong time, everything wrong. Um, And for it to destroy the plant's cooling system, that's basically what caused the triple meltdown. Um, The daunting decommissioning process has already been delayed for years and mired by technical hurdles and lack of data. They actually started venting nuclear um, uh, cooling water into the ocean which what the hell uh but they have to do something with it right yeah you know what could happen let's put it into our food supply anyway yeah so um the two drones on wednesday captured images showing enough space fukushima daiichi decommissioning chief akira akira ono Um, was cautiously optimistic. We should not force it because it could cause bigger trouble for our future work. On Wednesday, the first of what was supposed to be a two-day project, the two drones inspected the area around the external of the um, main structural support in the vessel called the pedestal. It's located directly under the reactor's core. Um, They wanted to find out how the fuel overheated um, and dripped into the uh, subfloor. About 880 tons of highly radioactive melted nuclear fuel remain inside three damaged reactors. Critics say 30 to 40 year cleanup target set by the government is overly optimistic. 880 tons of nuclear fuel. 
Oh, that's just awful. So it was hindered by debris, high radiation, and the inability to navigate through the rubble, though they were able to gather some data. So good luck to them all. This is going to be generations long cleanup. The super fun site is an understatement. Um, and unfortunately, this is really the kind of power that Japan needs. Right, but I bet they're not exactly happy about that type of power right now. Yeah. Well, they'll figure out how to make it more safer, longer, and even in the face of a magnitude 9 earthquake. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. A colonial armor found in 17th century Maryland cellar thought that one was really interesting so archaeologists working at on the site of a colonial fort in maryland found a concave near rectangular metal scrap that they say was once part of a colonial armor set i wonder <laughs> oh whoa it has a pattern huh oh. um that's really interesting. So the article is over at gizmodo.com by Isaac Schultz. A 400 year old scrap of metal is a thigh protector that was likely tossed by European colonists. I don't think I've ever seen one with a pattern on it. Well, I mean, I've seen armor Maybe. that has this kind of stuff, but hold on, come on, just let me pause. Um, so basically this, it doesn't look like it would be a thigh piece, but it looks like it has the hinging um, that you might expect from plated armor. And it looks like it has rivets that lead down to uh, both upright and inverted heart shapes, which I find very interesting. I mean, why the heck would they be hearts? Those aren't like arrowheads, those are hearts. Right, that does not seem like what you'd find on armor. I love you to death kind of a thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> the metal piece was an iron tacit, the archaeologist determined, which would have hung from a uh, breastplate to protect the wearer's thighs. It was found in historic St. Mary's City, the first capital of colonial Maryland and the site of ongoing excavations into America's colonial past. I guess that's what it looks like, um, severely encrusted in dirt. Um, and then they just did some uh, x-rays to take a look at it. So it's a structure that was built in 1634 and considered Maryland's earliest colonial site since 2020. Pretty cool. So yeah, it revealed steel bands and rivets that decorated the piece and held it together. Are they not going to say anything about the fact that they're hearts? I mean, isn't that the most interesting aspect other than the discovery? They've turned up decorative metal braiding, a pair of colonial era scissors, and the outline of a large building that was built shortly after the colonists arrived on Maryland shores. Pretty interesting. So there's more over here at this article. Um, go and check out that picture um, for yourself. It'll be obviously not everything we read is is. Uh, said verbatim on the show so i want you to go over and check it all out okay we got three more articles to go so let's keep on trucking through this come on there you go 
All right, so the next article is over in the Wanted channel. Self-pay gas station pumps break across New Zealand as software can't handle leap day. You know why? Because they weren't getting paid. That's right. I mean, I think there's a definite connection. Yeah, there was a divide by zero taking place. Today is leap day, meaning that for the first time in four years, it's February 29th. That's normally a quirky astronomical factoid or a very special birthday for some. Yeah, I know somebody that was born on um, leap day. So I think they're only a quarter of their age then. Yeah. um, So I think they are 23 or something like that. Um, but that unique calendar date broke gas station payment systems across New Zealand for much of the day. Well, and we can't say that about the last article that we're going to talk about. It wasn't leap year that caused the problem. So we'll talk about that when we get there. As reported by numerous international outlets, self-serve pumps in New Zealand were unable to accept card payments due to a problem with the gas pumps payment processing software. You know, Maybe I actually the, thought they must have been running a promotion and they got overloaded. I didn't realize it was because the date was just causing it. To go yeah, it's like the Y2K thing. If they don't account yes. for it. It, it, it's so, it's so basic. You know, if you're running a point of sale system, don't make it so that it's hard coded to a date, make it so that it's calculated, uh, throughout the year because right. it, <laughs> If you hard code it, this is what happens. Yeah. Was this software actually not updated or not developed prior to the last leap year? It's all, it has to be four year software, right? Well, that's the thing that didn't make any sense. We'll add it to our outlook reminders. Uh, is the deck statement they installed it on March 1st, the last time there was a leap year. <laughs> This is brutal. Um, Brings down the entire uh, series of gas station. Anybody that was using the software. But a firmware update should have fixed it. But that's not apparently what over the air didn't work. I guess it just crashed. Sharon Harding over at um, ArsTechnica.com put the article together. As noted by Bloomberg, New Zealand is one of the first countries to experience February 29th quadriennially quadriennially that's a fun word quadriennially uh, because of its location essentially it's a time traveler uh, the gas pump breakdown sent stakeholders into a frenzy as they tried to resolve the uh, problem caused by software being unequipped to process the bonus day yeah interesting I, they hard they had to have hard coded it by day you know, and obviously there is no like that it was only 365 days or that February had 28 days or something. Exactly. Yep. And then when it rolled over to 29, uh, uh, I'm surprised it didn't just shift. Like it could have gone to March 1st. The date would have been wrong, but at least it would still keep working. Yeah. There, there has to have been something else to sync up with. And because the point of sale system that processes the actual transaction gave the 29th as a date and it was expecting the first it probably just wet the bed ate itself (laughs) yep Uh, the outage highlights how extensive people's reliance on technology has become and how an error based on something as trivial as a calendar date which is not trivial can upturn entire businesses and disrupt people's day yeah i don't know i don't think it's really trivial 
to us it seems trivial um but the day is not <laughs> well think about all the hubbub about the y2k in advance yeah. of that i don't count that as trivial, trivial. exactly yep uh, we were well many of us were around for y2k and all the hubbub and it was actually a thing because older systems weren't uh, accounting for the y2k bug um, and uh, there were companies that were selling their solutions and people consultants were being paid some serious change to go through line by line the code <laughs> in like COBOL um, to, to fix these older systems. And all that did was really motivate people to get away from these older programming languages. So it says it effectively shuttered some gas stations while others had to rely on in-store payments. The outage affected suppliers, including Allied Petroleum, BP, Gull, Waitomo, and Z Energy, and has reportedly been fixed. So, yeah, should have been a fix um, right away. I mean, well, it should never have happened, but it does. Humans are uh, fallible, just like our creations. So let me, I forgot to throw this into the chat while, before we were talking. So there's that one. And we're going to go on to the next article. So this article uh, is over on the model channel and we've talked about it before. Wendy's surge pricing blunder was a PR dumpster fire. Um, I've actually stepped away from when I've liked when Wendy's, but I think that this is a money grab and a real douchebaggery kind of a move and I can't endorse it. In fact, um, like what happened with uh, other CEOs where they've done some cash grab and th the market responds with fire his ass or their ass. Um, I say the same with this. This person should not be in charge of making business decisions because surge pricing is downright dystopian greedy bastard mentality so the article is by laura branton over at qz or quartz.com um, it's qz.com it says wendy's has had a bad week actually it's a bad month the fast food chain uh, reported earnings february 15th that missed wall street's expectations and sent the stock down as much as seven percent in the days that followed then came the flurry of media attention centered on a single comment made by CEO Kirk Tanner, who should be Kirk Greedy Bastard Tanner, um, during Wendy's Don't earnings. You know that's his nickname. <laughs> it should be now. Um, made during Wendy's earnings call with investors, be quote, beginning as early as 2025, we will begin testing more enhanced features like dynamic pricing and day part offerings along with AI-enabled menu changes and suggestive selling. Wow. So, suggestive selling? Wild. Hey. Like it's on the wrong website or something. I, that must be only Wendy's. Uh, Wendy's After Dark, suggestive selling. The uh, keyword was dynamic pricing, seemingly a euphemism for surge pricing, a tactic employed by companies such as Uber um, and Enron. Hey, anybody know who Enron is? Anyway, uh, in which prices rise during times of peak demand. Notably, the comment didn't get picked up by many news outlets until two weeks after Tanner's remarks. That's because investors really like to hear things like, I'm a greedy bastard and I'll make more money for you. Um, but when right. it did, 
it caught fire. So trash behavior said a commenter on TikTok. Whoever came up with surge pricing for fast food should be fired, said a, a Redditor, not me. Um, and even a user on the website formerly known as Twitter made a cartoon 8723 for that combo meal. In fact, some of the conversations that I had were on target with other conversations that I had seen online, which were amounting to, so if I'm standing at the back of the line, as I approach the counter, and it's something that I said when we first reported this article, if I keep walking forward, my bill's gonna go up because there are six people in front of me? Are you? Think of how disheartening that would be as you're just standing there. First of all, you're losing steam just standing in line, right? Mm -hmm. You're hungry, you're tired, whatever. But really, the price is gonna go up as you're getting closer? Yep. Uh, Burger King offered customers free Whoppers. We don't believe in charging people more when they're hungry, the company said on a post on uh, the website formerly known as Twitter. Chili no, started we just a, like to give you a super smashed uh, burger that's a tenth of an advertised picture. <laughs> <laughs> Chili started a virtual support group on uh, the website formerly known as Twitter. Chili's is here for you. So they give a rundown on Quartz on QZ.com of the Wendy's failure filled February and the reported sales of $2.2 billion for the fiscal year 2023 missing analyst estimates, but I think it's probably still higher uh, record. I, it's probably record profits still, if I actually look at it. Wendy's stock falls to its lowest share price in 12 months to 1764. All that does is encourage the company to buy stock back at a discounted price and consolidate its value for the shareholders and for the executives that own uh, the company and run it get bonuses from consolidation like that. Um, and there's more over here, but it says in an ironic twist, Wendy says it'll offer customers free Cinnabons for Leap Day on February 29th. But then in a year, they'll make all of that money back that they lost. Yeah, this is, it's just aware There are several Leap Day uh, food deals today. So keep an eye out for those in your local area. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Hopefully not with surge pricing. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. Just watch out for the surge pricing. Uh, the final article for today is about change healthcare. Um, I, I was talking with people today about the fact that um, it's not if, but when you get um, involved, wrapped up, somewhere implicated in some security breach, um, I was telling somebody about how the fact that um, somebody purchased a car in Texas under my name, um, somebody put me down as the father of their child at a lo local hospital and I started receiving bills. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. There uh, was the bail bonds office that uh, liked to call hometown because uh, of a wrong number, but it may have been intentionally wrong number. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a very major company post my information publicly and had somebody show up at my doorstep at 11 p.m. Yeah, that That's one was interesting. That's probably the best story or worst, uh, depending oh, on your view of it. And in the process of seeking an attorney to, to um, I guess, prosecute a, a civil action against the, firm, the company, 
I could not find a law firm that hadn't interacted with this major company. So nobody could actually, it's a conflict of interest if they've ever done business. Um, so anyway, uh, ransomware gang claims they stole six terabytes of change healthcare data. The black cat alpha five, uh, sorry, alpha, um, ransomware gang has officially claimed responsibility for a cyber attack on Optum, a subsidiary of United Health Group or UHG, which led to an ongoing outage affecting the change healthcare platform. I titled this section, something needs to change healthcare. Um, <laughs> so how so, is the scale here? Like with the six terabytes? Um, it's significant for what it is. Um, the, depending on how the six terabytes was configured, if it was compressed data, it is a oh. ton of data. If it's, this is all uncompressed, um, it's still a significant breach, depending particularly on what it is. Uh, Sergio uh, Gatlin over at bleepingcomputer.com put this article together. Um, and the thing about this is that it, what it is, is a, a cyber attack on Optum, which is, which is a subsidiary of United Health Group, which is affecting the point of sale and transactional system for change healthcare, which is used by over 70,000 pharmacies across the United States. It has 440,000 employees worldwide, UHG. It's the largest healthcare company by revenue. Um, working with over 1.6 million physicians and care professionals in 8,000 hospitals and other care facilities. This thing is huge. So this was a minor event then? Sure. Yeah. So when you try and, and pay for something right now, you might run into a problem. It, um, so ransomware gang claims that they stole source code for the change healthcare solutions and sensitive information belonging to many partners, including the U.S. military TRICARE healthcare program, the Medicare federal health insurance program, CVS Caremark, MetLife, HealthNet, tens of others um, involved with healthcare insurance provider um, records. And then it says per Black Cat's claims, it has medical records, insurance records, dental records, payment information, claims information, personally identifiable information for patients and active duty PII. This is brutal. Um, and there's a whole lot more to this, but if I, I know how significant this is, um, if you are part of this compromise, you need to look at your your uh, uh, your uh, <laughs> financial records. You need to make sure that your bank doesn't get compromised. You have to make sure that your credit cards don't get compromised. You have to look at your um, what you call it that the, the uh, credit card rating. So, um, <clears throat> like one of the credit monitoring companies, like um, doggone it, TransUnion or yeah. or things like that. I know yeah. there's a few of them. Um, and so you need to look at your credit to make sure that nobody has opened up an account. You really should um, set up an account um, to monitor that kind of stuff because using PII, if they think that you're a valuable target, they may sell your data off in tranches and then people will actively try and set up uh, accounts. 
Uh, but it says here that since mid-December 2023, of the nearly 70 leaked victims, the healthcare uh, sector has been the most commonly victimized, the three federal agencies said. So on Tuesday, that's FBI, CISA, which is the main cybersecurity um, administration for the federal government, um, and the Department of Health and Human Services, or HHS warned that Black Hat ransomware affiliates primarily targeted organizations in the U.S. healthcare sector. Um, yeah, and so much data passes by that um, if they have to reset, it could cost them hundreds of millions of dollars. So apparently it was an auth bypass flaw that was known. Um, CVE 2024-1709. Um, the network used a critical screen connect authorization bypass flaw. Yeah, I, I would have to look into this to see exactly what this one is because there's so many CVEs in the database um, that this one is brand new, though. <laughs> like, this is brand new. So Black Hat also Do you also think denied... we're going to see continued stuff like this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's because business and, and and the nation and the world basically thinks that security is somebody else's problem and so you have to be aware and uh i don't ha i'm not i am not going to challenge anybody um to a fight because i know that there are people out there that are brilliant that will do it just for kicks just to prove something or yeah and they say here that Black Cat also denied that affiliates who breached Change Healthcare's network used a critical screen connect auth bypass flaw, which was a known CVE, um, which means that perhaps um, Black Cat actually has another zero day flaw in Change Healthcare's system. Um, and even if Change Healthcare quote unquote resolves the problem, Black Cat might, may be able to slide right on back into their DMs. So looks like there is trouble ahead for change healthcare. So, okay. Um, but that's it. How big this is. It really depends on how much pain and suffering they inflict on the people that are inside that database. Um, and it runs the full range of innocent civilians to, um, innocent bystanders in the government who are just trying to do a, a good uh, for the nation. So kind of a pissy day yesterday. Um, and it's not over because it's still an ongoing thing, right? They're now offering $15 million to help identify and locate black cat. You know, that may be the largest tip I've seen. Maybe it isn't, but it seems like a lot of times it'll be like $10,000 or something. Oh my God, they've raked in at least $300 million in ransoms from over a thousand victims until September, 2023. All right. Keep your head on a swivel folks <laughs> and click with care. Don't, don't be derpy. Don't just randomly click on shit. It, this is not just about you. It's about your enterprise. It's about your family. It's about anybody that is even tangentially attached to you because they can use you as a stepping stone to get to somebody else. Um, so be aware. 
All right. So well, think of the twenty-three and me, right? I mean, that extended easily beyond yourself. That's, yeah, that's another one that I actually spoke to people about today. Um, that even though you don't really care about this, there is data in the twenty-three and me pool that could link somebody to somebody else, right? And so somebody could go, you know, I, they can exploit it by contacting somebody and saying, I know who your adopted kid is because data in the 23andMe pool says that you are the relative of this person. And if that person doesn't want to be known for whatever reason, <laughs> they can be blackmailed. Um, and, and so data isn't just data. It's information that somebody can exploit if they don't have, you know, a, a positive moral compass. But people do things for just a, a plethora, a myriad of reasons. Or I should just say myriad reasons, not a myriad. Just myriad reasons. Anyway, got to be grammatically correct. All right, that's it. We're done. Let's get back into the party bus. Drive down Main Street. I'd mash that button, but... Who knows what I'm going to see? Meh. Okay. So I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the visualizer for the, I think, awestruck sentient AI from the future. Doesn't remember, I guess, this event taking place in history since you traveled back in time on a USB uh -huh. drive and landed in a Wendy's. A Wendy's! <gasps> that was what really caught my attention when you had the Wendy's article. Oh my gosh. Now I know. I blame you. Maybe I've disrupted the, uh, it's like the, the Cubs. field around the Wendy's or something. That's right. What was the name of that monkey that, or gorilla, I mean, that they, what was that? Anyway, never mind. We know when the timeline shattered and, and we ended up where we are. And it was because I thought it that... was when the Cubs, uh, <laughs> <laughs> won. Yeah. Well... <laughs> All right, folks, that's it. See you later. You want to say bye, sentient AI. Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at approximately 8 p.m. Eastern for another episode of Hometown Daily. Approximately. The only way you'll know is if you follow us here on Twitch. Ooh. <laughs>